What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. Before we get into the podcast, which week I would just like to invite you to... Follow the podcast on social media. You can find me on Facebook at Christopher B. Miller, on Instagram at PC Speaking, and on TikTok at PC Speaking. Also, I guess there's a new Christian platform out there called uh, B Perk, I believe it is, or something like that. I'm on there as well, PC Speaking. If you'd like to follow me, uh, put out content six days a week. So, yeah, if you're interested, follow along. Love to have you. Welcome to part three in our series, The Whole Armor of God. Today, we are talking about the breastplate of righteousness. Um, Well, let's just jump into it. We'll begin by reading our scripture passage from Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 18. I've got them over here on my monitor to my left, and this is what they say. It says, finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done all to stand Stand therefore, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication. To that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. When we started this series, um, we prefaced the armor of God by talking about spiritual warfare. And we did so seeking to understand better what it is, how it takes place, why it happens, how it affects us, and where it takes place as well. All of these different things. And we did that to help us better understand the whole armor of God, what each piece means, how it helps us um, fight those daily battles because every believer is part of spiritual warfare, which is a daily battle that takes place in each of our lives that at its core is about living our lives in obedience to Jesus. That battle takes place every day in our hearts, in our minds, as we decide to obey Jesus. We make those small day-by-day decisions in our family, in our job, in our community to live in obedience to Christ. We also learn there's some pitfalls to avoid in that daily battle. And one of the pitfalls is thinking that our fight is against people. The Bible is very clear that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual evil and darkness. 
So we don't want to view people as our enemy. And it can be really challenging sometimes when someone is saying things and doing things that are contrary to the most foundational parts of our Christian beliefs and to look at them and say, you are not my enemy. That can be a very challenging thing to do, but we learn in spiritual warfare that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. And another common pitfall we see in spiritual warfare, a mistake that people often make is viewing the battle somewhere out there, somewhere out in the world, out in our community. And that's not always wrong. There certainly may be a battle taking place there. But when we focus on that, what we do is it can distract us from the fact that the front line in the battle of spiritual warfare is actually in our own heart, in our own mind. And maybe the most common pitfall in is viewing the battle as something overly dramatic. You know, the battle is won or lost in our daily decisions to live in obedience to Christ. And sometimes those decisions can be, frankly, a bit of a grind. Sometimes they can be a little bit boring, but that's where the battle is won and lost. In those places, we have to discipline ourselves to live in obedience to Christ. And to win that battle, as we've read in our scripture, we must stand firm in the Lord, adorned with the whole armor of God. Because as we choose to live in obedience to Christ, we also choose to live as an adversary to Satan. And Satan's goal is to hide the knowledge of God, to build strongholds against the knowledge of God. And he has many schemes he employs to do that. He is attempts to lead you away from obedience, which may be through distraction, through temptation. That's schemes of the devil. You know, some people have the idea that uh, Satan's plan, what he wants to do is to make you suffer. But the reality is, is that his scheme is to lead you away from obedience. Uh, his goal with Adam and Eve was to get them to disobey God. Satan's other goal is to get people to curse God. That was his goal with Job. His goal is to either get people to disobey God, get them to curse God, or get them to do both. And there may be suffering involved with the decisions we make in that, but Satan doesn't really care whether you suffer or not. Uh, he just wants to lead people to disobedience and he wants to see people curse God. That's what he's about. And there's a misconception I think that some have often that Satan will rule in hell, that he's there to torment those and, and cause suffering for those who have done bad things in this life. And no, Satan will rule nothing. Uh, he'll, he'll burn in the pit of hell and torment along with everyone else who is there. Uh, it's not like there's a hierarchy in hell. Leading up to that time when he is cast into that pit, all he can do is try to get people to curse or disobey God and drag as many people as he can with him. That's really all he can do. And every single person will either follow Jesus or fall with Satan. That's just a reality. And this is a train of thought that brought us to the first piece of armor in this series, the belt of truth. And we talked about believing what is true, speaking what is true, telling the truth, and these are very important things to do in obedience to Jesus, but the truth of the gospel 
The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundational truth upon which the rest of the armor rests. It's, it's the truth that holds the rest of the armor together. And as a Paul is about to introduce us to the whole armor of God in verse 13, this is what he says. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done all to stand. And that reinforces what Paul said back in verses 10 and 11, stand firm in the Lord and in the power of his might so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And then take up the whole armor of God, not a piece, not a partial set, but the whole set that you may be able to resist in the evil day is what Paul says. And there may be a question there. Uh, what does Paul mean when he says that you may be able to resist in the evil day? And I think sometimes people, when they hear that, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, they're thinking that's gonna happen sometime out in the future. But he's talking about being able to stand face to face with the evil of the day whether it was the day that the Ephesians first read this letter, whether it's today as you and I read it together, or whether it's in future days when believers in the future read it, we have to do these things that Paul tells us to do, stand firm in the Lord, put on the whole armor of God, so that we may be able to stand face to face with the evil of the day in which we live. So we've tightened up the belt of truth and now we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul talks about standing against evil two times, first 10, 11, then again in 13. And the breastplate of righteousness is one of the keys to that standing, to be able to stand face to face against the evil of the day. And the breastplate of righteousness has both active and passive properties. We're somewhat passive in the breastplate of righteousness in that it protects us, but we're also active in that we put on the breastplate of righteousness through doing right things or doing righteous things. So let's take a deeper look, dig into the breastplate of righteousness. The metaphor of a breastplate is something that we see and other places in scripture as well. It's not unique to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Isaiah chapter 59, 17, the Bible says, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And I don't think that it's much of a reach to think that that's probably what Paul is thinking about when he's, writing this passage to the Ephesians. He's remembering back to some things the prophet Isaiah said. But the the breastplate in scripture is not just a metaphor for righteousness. First uh, Thessalonians 5.8 says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So, It's not uh, a metaphor that's unique just to this passage in scripture. It's used elsewhere as a metaphor. Um, But what is the breastplate of righteousness? What is it? What does it do? How is it worn? How do we put it on? How do we keep it on? Those are important things to understand and important questions to ask ourselves as we look at that. A breastplate as a piece of armor 
covers the chest. Uh, and maybe it, maybe it covers the whole torso. And I've talked about some of my military experience when I was younger. And we had a couple of pieces of body armor that we wore. And one was a helmet. It was made of Kevlar. It was very sturdy. It was also very hot, very uncomfortable, kind of heavy and annoying, but it was sturdy. It would protect your head. Um, maybe we'll talk more about that helmet when we come to the helmet of salvation in this series. Now, we also had a couple of different kinds of body armor that we wore. One piece of body armor we had, we called a flak jacket. It was kind of like this, uh, I don't even know what it was, but it was made out of a, a woven material, tightly woven material. And it was thick and heavy and you know, was like wearing a plastic bag. It was uh, held the heat in. It was uncomfortable, all those things. But it it wouldn't stop a bullet, but it would help stop or at least slow down shrapnel. Uh, things like uh, odd-shaped pieces of flying metal or flying glass, things like that would not penetrate it. So it would protect you from those things. And in my unit, we also had a designated group with body armor similar to something that you might see police wearing today. And I don't think that body armor would have stopped a bullet either. But what it did have was it had some heavy metal plates that could be inserted into the armor. And those plates would uh, at least stop a small caliber bullet. They were heavy, they were unwieldy, but they covered your heart, your most vital organ. Because if you lose your heart, you, you lose everything else. A breastplate is a piece of armor that protects the most vital part of your body. It protects your heart. And the breastplate that we're talking about, Paul calls it the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is a quality of being morally right or justifiable. And I don't want to oversimplify this, but you could say... Righteousness is doing the right thing. And the majority of people in the world today, most most anybody you talk to, believes they're they're doing the right thing, or at least they're trying to. They're they think they're doing a pretty good job of it. You can see that when you ask the question, you know, if you stand before God and he says, Why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Or how do you get into heaven? You know, there's a lot of different ways you can ask that question, but most people answer that question with some form of be a good person or I am a good person. But when you ask them, you know, why are you good? Why do you think you're good? And they often answer with something like, well, I, I never murdered anyone. And when you think about it, simply not murdering someone is not a very high standard of doing the right thing. You know, not murder, that's that's not a very high standard. Even if you don't know God, you would reasonably assume that there is a higher standard than not murder. But most people would consider themselves morally right, justifiable, which is the definition of righteousness. So when someone says, I am a good person, they're saying my thoughts, my decisions, my behavior are morally right and justifiable. I am righteous. That's what they're saying when they say I'm a good person. But that still leaves the question, how do you justify that your thoughts, your decisions, and your behavior are morally justifiable? What do you use to show or prove that you are morally justifiable before other people, before God? 
And we're talking about two different perceptions of righteousness that we just brought up there. Before God, before people. Two different perceptions of what it means to be morally right and justifiable. And I want to be careful with the wording here. So I'm using perceptions of righteousness instead of forms or kinds of righteousness, but just two different perceptions of righteousness. There's righteousness before God, which if you're a Christian, um, you understand that being shown to be morally right and justifiable for before God, there's only one way that that's possible. There's one way that happens, and that's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that we are made righteous before the Father in heaven. Uh, we are justified in Christ as his followers. And that's, that is part of the breastplate of righteousness. We rest in that knowledge that righteousness before God is not relying on me. There's actually some comfort in knowing that. And that has a protective quality. And that saves us from God's eternal judgment. It saves us from daily judgment, from ourselves, from others. And when we're saved, God lives in us as the Holy Spirit. He seals us, we're his, and that's permanent. And he comforts us, he can fix us, he guides us as we live in obedience to him and he helps us do that. Trusting Jesus as your savior makes you righteous before God, but it does not necessarily make you righteous before other people. That is a different perspective, different perception of righteousness. The way other people perceive us is morally justifiable. And it would be easy to say and sometimes you hear this, who cares how other people see me? I don't care what they think. I'm justified before God. And that is not untrue. But in spiritual warfare, it does matter how people perceive you. And this is the other aspect of the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness also involves the things we do. That's the active part of it. There's the passive part of it where it protects us, but we actively live in obedience to Christ to actually put the breastplate on. It involves how we live, our decisions, our thoughts, our actions. Our behavior is important in putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And of course, our behavior doesn't make us righteous before God, but it does determine how we are perceived by our community. As I mentioned earlier, many people would consider themselves righteous. But how does a person determine that? If you don't have some kind of transcendent code or creed to live by, you will be adrift on the sea of whatever I happen to think is best at the moment. Things like you know relative morality and relative truth and all that kind of silliness comes along from that kind of thinking. When I think I'm a good person, well, how do you turn that? Well, by the way I think. But for Christians, we have transcendent guidance. We have a transcendent creed and following the commands of Jesus, living in obedience to Jesus. That is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. The blessed breastplate of righteousness makes us spiritually impenetrable. It protects us. It protects our heart. Living in obedience to Christ 
controls what gets into your heart. Why does practicing righteousness matter? Remember, we're not talking about showy self-righteousness. Okay, we, that should really go without saying. We know the Bible speaks very clearly about that, but living in obedience to Jesus. Most of the time, many Christians would probably say, you know, who cares what other people think? But in spiritual warfare, it actually does matter what other people think. It's important. Satan wants to lead us away from obedience and get us to curse God. If we don't live in obedience to Christ while claiming to be his followers, we can be the some reason that someone curses God. We can be the reason someone laughs at God. We can actually inadvertently help the enemy build a stronghold against the knowledge of God when we choose not to live in obedience to Christ. You know, there's a reason that people call Christians hypocrites. They call Christians phony. They call Christians fake. There's a reason people think pastors are charlatans. There's a reason people think pastors want to steal your money. There's a reason people think church is not a safe place for kids. It's because people who claim or have claimed to be followers of Christ did not live a righteous life in submissive obedience to Christ. Instead, they allowed Satan to lead them away from obedience. We can be used by Satan to hide the knowledge of God if we choose an unrighteous life, a life that is not lived in obedience to Jesus. Now, we all sin. We're not talking about a perfect life. We're talking about doing our best to live in obedience to Christ. And we all sin, but when we do, we shouldn't stay there. We should admit when we do. Sometimes that may be actually apologizing to a person, admitting to someone that we did sin. We should repent. Then then we should get up and we should keep moving forward. We can't be drugged down into that forever. We get up and we move on and we move forward as forgiven followers of Jesus. When a Christian publicly sins, Satan employs his schemes to amplify that. And you know, that, that could be in a, in a community as small as your circle of friends, as your family, and might be, and it can get bigger and bigger from there. When something terrible happens publicly in Christianity, there's always an onslaught of, look how terrible this is. We should abolish religion. I hear these things all the time on social media. We should abolish religion and churches and religious leaders and, and we should tax churches. Religion is a threat to society. Uh, the entire institution of religion needs to be removed from modern rational society. And one of the struggles is that, you know, people don't differentiate between different denominations, different churches, even different religions. Everything kind of gets, you know, put in the same boat, which is completely irrational. A rational approach would be, let's focus on and deal with the problem itself, the perpetrator, the individual who committed the wrongdoing. It doesn't mean that everyone involved in that is doing the wrong thing, but that one person did, and that's what we need to deal with. I can remember some time ago, this is going back quite a ways, I can't remember how long ago, but it was, it was at least 20 years ago. And there was a dentist who, when he would put women under general anesthesia in his dentist chair, he would molest these women. 
And they even had some video footage of it. I don't remember how it was they got the video footage, whether it was security cameras or hidden camera or whatever. But there was no question about what was going on. But I remember there was a lot of outrage about this, Dennis. It was on the national news. And I don't remember exactly what happened to him, um, but I'm sure he was prosecuted. I'm, I would be very surprised if he was allowed to continue to practice dentistry if he didn't end up in jail. Um, but that particular dentist was, you know, he was prosecuted. And that seems reasonable. That seems rational. But you know what I didn't hear? What didn't happen was no one was saying we should tear down the institution of dentistry or all dentists want to steal your money or we should close all dentist's offices everywhere. Don't send your kids to the dentist because it's not safe for kids there. Nobody was saying that. Do you know why? Because Satan's not trying to get people to curse dentistry. He's trying to get people to curse God. He's trying to build strongholds against the knowledge of God. You see, how we live and interact with our community as Christians matters more than it does for a lot of people because we always, everything we do reflects on Christianity as a whole. It reflects back on God. And, you know, I don't want to stress you out too much. I don't want to overburden anyone do your best to live in obedience to Christ and everything else is going to fall in line behind that. And that's not that difficult. That's not something you need to stress about that much. You try to do your best at that and everything else is going to fall in line behind it. And that's really the thing you need to worry about. But if you're not doing that and you're trying to live in two different worlds, you got one foot over here and you got one foot over here and you are then unwittingly helping Satan to build a stronghold against the knowledge of God. Maybe in your marriage, in your family, in your community, wherever it might be that you're trying to, you know, walk in two worlds. And when you think about that happening and, you know, you're obviously being a hypocrite in a situation like that and people see you doing things that are, you know, counter to Christian beliefs, what will that do in the hearts and the minds of those who we're trying to bring to the knowledge of God. So you can hopefully see how living righteously can make the knowledge of God known. And living unrighteously can actually help the enemy and even lead people to curse God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, not self-righteousness. I shouldn't even have to say that, but living in obedience to Christ. Paul says, stand strong, in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand face to face against the evil of the day in which you live. Part of being able to stand face to face with evil is not being able to be torn down not being able to be torn apart. When you live righteously in obedience to Jesus, there is nothing to tear down. Therefore, put on the breastplate of righteousness and live in obedience to Christ. You see, words, 
you know, if, if you're online a lot like I am and comment sections and all that kind of stuff, there's just all this words throwing back and forth. And, you know, wor- words are not a defense against accusations. They're just, they're not. But a life well lived in obedience to Jesus is a defense against accusations. And I've, like I said, I've interacted with a lot of people and I get a lot of interaction online through social media and things like that. And I found there, there are two basic kinds of detractors. And, you know, my content is definitely geared towards a Christian audience. And that's, that's most of the interaction I get, which is usually positive. But when the detractors are there and there's, there's a fair few of them too, but they're, you know, it's far outnumbered by the positive stuff, but I found two basic kinds of detractors. One is the kind who says, uh, our Christians are just dumb and they're just kind of internet trolls and just want to see if they can, uh, trigger you. Or, you know, I'm an atheist because I'm smarter than you are, that kind of thinking. And there are there are plenty of those. But in those kinds of interactions with people, there are no accusations there. So you just kind of go, yeah, whatever. Maybe you interact with people, you don't. If it seems like it'd be fruitful, it's not that big a deal. But then there are those who make accusations, like the church isn't a safe place for kids. All they want at church is your money. They want to control you. They want to brainwash you. Now, those accusations do not represent Christianity, the beliefs of Christianity. They don't represent God. They don't represent the Bible. But what they do represent is a time when a Christian, frankly, probably a Christian leader, acted in disobedience to Christ, and Satan amplified that leading people away from the knowledge of God and leading people to curse God. You see, that's a scheme of the devil where he builds a stronghold against the knowledge of God. And words are not a defense against that, but a life well lived in obedience to Jesus is. When Jesus was on trial before his crucifixion, he had very little to say. He didn't need to say anything. There, there were accusations, but they were false. Even Pilate had to wash his hands of it. He says, yeah, you know, I don't know what to do with this. This guy's innocent. And yes, Jesus was still crucified, but he's also still righteous. And if you can stand before accusers, knowing that the accusations are false, you can stand. If you stand face to face with evil, living in obedience to Christ, There will be accusations, there will be attacks because living in obedience to Christ is living as an adversary to Satan. But you will be able to stand. The enemy will try to lead you away from obedience. And metaphorically speaking, he's trying to get you to remove the breastplate of righteousness. That's how he works. Tries to tempt you, tries to distract you, tries to get you to do something that is in disobedience to Jesus. And in doing so, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get you to remove the breastplate of righteousness because once that is gone, he has access to your heart. If he can lead you away from obedience, he can use your disobedience to get to your heart. He can fill it with ungodly things. He can use your obedience to build a stronghold against the knowledge of of God. He can use your disobedience to lead others to curse God. And I don't need to give examples of times when Christians have failed at righteousness. 
we all have examples of that in our own life, and we can all think of examples of that where it's happened in the lives of others. And times when they have become a barrier between people and the knowledge of God and caused people to curse God. So from that perspective, when you think about it, it does matter what we do. It really does. And sometimes it does matter what people think. Righteousness before men does matter. Righteousness before God, it does matter. And they're both found in Christ. Trusting Christ makes us righteous before God and living in obedience to Christ makes us righteous before men. And they both matter. Therefore, protect your heart. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and live in obedience to Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 